0: Welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Sarah. And I'm Clay. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. Guys, this might be the first episode where I cry. What? Which is actually kind of amazing that we made it all the way to episode 52 before that happened. Because Clay will tell you guys, I am a crier.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she 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 is.
0: I'm a happy crier, a sad crier, an angry crier, and a very, very sentimental crier. Yeah, that's true. That's the big one. But here's the thing. The stars have only aligned like this for me once before. Back when it was my turn to host the episode that released on Valentine's Day, and I got to dedicate half an hour to my one true love. Right. Kind of a similar scenario this week because this one comes out on the 4th of July. And I'm here to talk about Captain America. Oh, for god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I cannot help myself.
1: So, you 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 like Captain America, right? Oh,
0: a little bit, yeah.
1: She loves Captain America. Yeah. Um, huge a, to,
0: emotional trigger for me
1: to an insane degree.
0: Yeah, it's a lot.
1: And uh, so what what is the topic today? Is it actually are you going to be talking actually about Captain America?
0: About the creation of the character. Like okay. the or not um I'm not going to be talking about like the the myth that's, you know, like oh Steve Rogers was born on this and that date and this was his teacher and whatever. Like the actual creation of the comic book character. Okay. Yeah. But I just, you know, when I checked the calendar To see what day this was coming out. There was just nothing else I I could have covered today. That's fair. It's just, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. It's fair. Yeah. So, not only is he the thing that makes me feel the most patriotic, but July 4th is also Steve Rogers' birthday. Yeah. So, my hands are tied. (laughs) So, I'm going to take you back to the year 1940. So, the Second World War was raging across Europe, but wouldn't reach America's shores until the end of the following year. So there was time for people to focus on another type of explosion, the popularity of comic books. Oh, boy. Yeah. Was that a little bit tasteless? Uh, mm-hmm. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. I accept that. But, you know, facts is facts. Yeah. Uh, So two of the all time most popular superheroes were already gaining eternal fame by this point, with Superman first appearing in Action Comics number one in 1938 Mm -hmm. and Batman appearing in Detective Comics number 27 in 1939. Yeah. So their publisher, National Comics Publication, was bringing in money hand over fist with these comic books. Just like printing money, they might as well have been. They were so popular. Right. Enter Martin Goodman. Goodman was a career publisher of literally anything he thought would bring in money. He's mostly known today for his place in comic book history, but he also published a lot of westerns and pulp novels and like random periodicals, pretty much anything he believed would sell regardless of the genre or the medium. If it's in print and people will buy it, he's interested in publishing it. He did not care.
1: Gotcha. (laughs) Businessman.
0: Yes. He's also described by some as being a blatant imitator who waited to see what was popular, copied it in multiple different ways, and pushed all of that out to the public, hoping to ride the wave that, like, even if just one of these things picks up, I'm gonna make some of that money. Okay, yeah. So think about, like, when Twilight first became really popular in the late 2000s, and all of a sudden vampires were everywhere again.
1: Oh, I remember.
0: Publishers and studio executives, like, saw that this one book series was selling out all over the place, and they started snatching up Any sort of vampire manuscripts they could get their hands on. Goodman's entire career was doing exactly that thing over and over and over again. That being the case, what do you think was running through his mind when he's seeing Superman and Batman all over the place? I gotta give me a superhero. Sure. Yeah. Before we go any further, I want to add in a little aside here about Martin Goodman that really adds fuel to the fire um, of my belief in like fate and the butterfly effect, that sort of thing. So all the tiniest little decisions can change the entire course of history. So a perfect example of that. In 1937, Goodman and his new wife decided to honeymoon in Europe and had plans to end that trip with a ride on the Hindenburg. Oh mm-hmm, that Hindenburg they already had their tickets, and they were like preparing to board, uh-huh, but there were no two empty seats together. They would have had to split up, and that's no way to end your honeymoon, so they got off the ship and left to find a different way home and then the Hindenburg exploded and killed everyone on board.
1: Oh man, the
0: Marvel Cinematic Universe literally would not exist today if any one person who boarded ahead of them got there a little bit after they did instead and allowed them to sit together or if someone had noticed their plight and offered to switch seats or any other like tiny little inconsequential decision that left two empty seats side by side yeah none of the marvel characters would exist marvel comics would not exist that's crazy it's so bizarre yeah but thankfully none of that happened Martin Goodman survived the Hindenburg disaster, and a couple years later, he started a new publishing house called Timely Publications, which really is pretty funny when you think about how he's just grabbing up anything that's already popular. Like, what is timely? What's trending right now? So once he started the new publishing house, he contracted with a comic book packager called Funnies, Inc., and provided the materials necessary to publish a test comic called Marvel Comics Number One. Hmm. That first issue featured a couple of guys we still know today. Submariner, who's also known as uh, Namor, and the Human Torch. Okay. Not bad for a first time out. Yeah. They weren't quite cutting it for Goodman, though, at least as far as sales figures were concerned. So he hired a pair of freelancers to develop a superhero who was, let's say, worthy.
1: Oh. Mm.
0: Thus, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby were brought on board. They'd worked together on many other successful comic books as artists and conceptualizers. Both men were talented in their own right, but the magic really happened when they worked together. So Goodman gave them free reign in the creation of their character, except to say that he wanted someone who was going to still play well with the public once America inevitably got involved in World War II, despite the U.S.'s stance at the time being like allied leaning, but still technically neutral. So, I mean, this is going to happen. Just make sure people are still going to want to buy it once it happens. With that in mind, Simon and Kirby actually started by deciding who the character's nemesis would be, and that was an easy one. Adolf Hitler. Yeah. (laughs) Hitler should always and forever be everyone's enemy. Cool. Done. Check that off the to-do list. (laughs) Now that we've got our enemy, we need our hero. I'm going to try not to cry. Well, if we're wanting to really inspire Americans to rally behind this guy fighting Hitler, and our one guideline was that we wanted people to still be very, very invested in this character once the country goes to war, we should probably make him a soldier, right? Sure. And we should probably make it as clear as humanly possible that this is an American soldier, right? (laughs) Even though Kirby was the illustrator, it was actually Simon who came up with the original design for a red, white, and blue suit and a red, white, and blue shield. He sketched it out and labeled his creation Super American. Oh. Lame. Yeah. So fucking lame. <laughs> and there were already a bunch of other superheroes called Super something yeah. because of Superman's popularity. Super American. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so after some understandably necessary discussions on the matter, they settled on the name Captain America. Yeah. Simon and Kirby took their eight-page proto-comic to Goodman for approval, and Goodman basically lost his damn mind he saw so many dollar signs. He was, like, going full Scrooge McDuck in his mind, just, like, backstroking through kids' allowance money. <laughs> And so at the end of 1940, a full year before the bombing of Pearl Harbor and America's involvement in World War II, Captain America number one hit the stands with a cover showing Captain America punching Hitler directly in the face. And the crowd goes wild. They sure do. To quote from an article published by the Ohio State University, Captain America became an unofficial part of the war effort. His winged visage enlivened patriotic calls for children to collect scrap metal and buy war bonds. Fans could join the Sentinels of Liberty, whose card featured a saluting cap alongside a set of principles that pledged members to honor God, the Constitution, and their duties as citizens wow yeah (laughs) interestingly simon would later state openly that he regretted captain america's origin story as a scrawny weakling who volunteered to receive super soldier serum something that was covered in that very first issue he considered it the weakest part of the character overall and admitted that he and kirby both gave it very little thought Mm. that they put down the first thing they could think of in a rush to get to the action and that blew my mind. Yeah. Um, and it hurt my feelings a little bit because that is so fundamental to the character.
1: Do you think it's so important to us because, like, we've been through so many iterations of superheroes and we've been through the Golden Age, Silver Age, been through so much. So having a, a hero with an origin that is humble is is more appealing uh, when in contrast with, like, you know, the the – well, I guess the ones that have sort of survived – are the the ones with (laughs) humble origins even superman grew up on a little farm
0: batman did not batman (laughs) batman did not
1: batman had not necessarily a a humble um life but (laughs) tragic past
0: tragic but his parents were murdered for being rich yeah basically so i don't know
1: very different from, like, I am a superhuman who is going to save the world just because I'm a big, strong guy. Right.
0: Well, and that's kind of a lot of what was going around at the time. And even like in the original Superman comics, first of all, his name was not Clark Kent. It was something like Bill Dunn. <laughs> the very, in the very, like, the first few Superman comics, his name was Bill Dunn. Hilarious. And he was a villain. Really? Superman. He was, um, Oh, it was like somebody who was like experiencing homelessness, and he was given these like superhuman powers somehow, and he used them to do like crimes. Okay, which is very bizarre. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but a lot of other superheroes at the time, it was like, I just am this way. Like, I just am a superhero, and like nothing really matters.
1: Well, when you think about like, I mean, we're going on a bit of a tangent. Yeah. Um, but when you think about like why. comics were made in the first place it was power fantasy for children yeah children didn't care about why these characters were so powerful or necessarily their mm-hmm. backstories they just wanted to see, they just wanted to see they just wanted to see heroes beating up bad guys so right. that they could pretend to be the heroes who beat up bad guys.
0: Which is so funny because, like, that's kind of the same thing Simon and Kirby wanted. They're like, I just want to gloss over this backstory and get to the action. Yeah. But what makes Captain America so unique is the backstory. And I think the the fact that he resonated with so many people at that time. I mean, he he always stands up for the little guy because he was the little guy. Yeah. But it's also like that determination he showed as Steve Rogers to join the fight despite his limitations. Like that extreme patriotism, like regardless of what we have going against us, we're going to get in this and we're going to save the day because we're Americans. Like Steve Rogers overcame his small stature and poor health at any cost because it was the right thing to do. Because he valued doing the right thing even over his own safety.
1: Do you think... (laughs)
0: i mean that is captain america you can't you're not allowed to regret that part
1: well i think it also and and i and i'm sure this was not intended because it was a year before america entered the war Mm -hmm. but i'm sure it played it played up pretty well once um you know they started asking for volunteers right because then they could say well look captain america wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily the strongest man either but look at him now (laughs) and that could be you
0: rather the opposite he was 4f man he was the weakest guy we got
1: i'm doing my part
0: right see here's the thing they were really focused on the action you know just like you were saying like that's probably what's gonna bring people in that's probably why they took the gig in the first place but that's actually a really great thing that they were so focused on it because their style in the captain america comics even those very first ones really set the character apart. Hmm. Simon described his process with Kirby when animating fight scenes as similar to choreographing a ballet. Oh. So if you go back and look at even Captain America number one, the punches never came out of nowhere. Everything was carefully planned and made as realistic and plausible as possible when you're dealing with the superhero. Mm-hmm. Continuity was really important to them, not just in the storytelling, but in the placement of characters from one panel to the next. So it makes me actually kind of think of the the behind-the-scenes footage you see today of, like, fight choreography for the Captain America movies. So you take something like that fight scene in The Winter Soldier, where you have Cap, Black Widow, and Falcon all fighting the Winter Soldier, and just think about how tight and precise that fight was. Yeah. Joe Simon and Jack Kirby were putting just as much care and attention into the Captain America fight scenes in those comics as the Russo brothers put into Cap's fight scenes in the MCU okay it was very important to them yeah so it wasn't just like oh let's just get to the action for the action's sake but that was like a big part of the actual art for them as well
1: yeah and i mean the fights are sort of the whole point right yeah
0: and especially if your enemy is hitler the kind of the whole point is you know punching him in the face over 200 times
1: kids like action
0: yeah that's true yeah All that to say, patriotism was not the only reason the comics were such a success. Hmm. Captain America and his scrappy teenage sidekick, Bucky Barnes, were all the rage. They battled the Japanese, Hitler, and Hitler's experiment gone wrong, the Red Skull. Simon and Kirby created 10 issues of Captain America in the months leading up to Pearl Harbor, and they outstripped every other comic book when it came to sales numbers. If Captain America was not your favorite superhero at the time, you sure knew better than to say it out loud. It was downright un American to prefer anybody else for any reason, and especially when you consider that Cap's contemporaries, Superman and Batman, completely stayed out of the war. Oh, they never got involved.
1: Interesting.
0: Messed up. Yeah. Draft Dodgers. After the war ended, though, Captain America comics started to fall out of favor and the final issue was published in february of 1950 the war was over and people wanted to move on yeah imagine being a soldier coming home from the most unimaginably traumatic experience of your life and seeing this goofy ass comic book character everywhere (laughs) and especially if it was like your own kid reading those comics so you can't escape the war even in your own house sure Though they tried to pivot the character to fit current ideals during the Korean War, Captain America was not able to inspire that same sense of patriotism and idealism that he'd represented for folks at home during the Second World War. Yeah. But then, in 1963, a real hero entered the ring. A comic book writer named Stanley Lieber. Wait,
1: Stanley Lieber?
0: Stanley Lieber. Stanley! Stanley! I didn't. As he's more commonly known today. <laughs>
1: well, I learned something. I learned something else that was new.
0: Yep. <laughs> so, Stanley, if you've heard of Captain America, you've heard of Stanley. Um, he started his career at Timely Comics all the way back in 1939. Gosh. Yeah. He was brought on by Joe Simon himself and was actually kind of a Nepo baby, considering his cousin Gene was married to Martin Goodman. So, that's interesting. Stan's first job at Timely Comics was as the person who refilled the artist's inkwells as they were creating the comics. Okay. So, even with that family connection, he started from the bottom. Yeah. Stan Lee and Captain America had a date with Destiny from the beginning. <laughs> Not only was he brought on by one of the co-creators of The Star-Spangled Man with a Plan, but Stan's first comic credit came in 1941 when he was allowed to fill in the lettering on the cover of Captain America No. 4 which said, Captain America foils the traitor's revenge. Nice. Yeah, that's not a bad start, you know? Yeah. He continued writing Captain America comics, being given more and more responsibility until he left to join the army himself the following year. Mm. After serving in World War II and slogging through some less than exciting assignments in the 1950s, he teamed up with none other than Jack Kirby to create a few new characters for the publisher now known as Marvel Comics. This included Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, and Thor. After successfully debuting all three characters individually, they decided to use them in a team they called the Avengers, which was meant to be an answer to DC's Justice League. Yeah. (laughs) Three issues of the Avengers were released, but something was missing. Oh, boy. Oh, here it comes.
1: (laughs) Oh, It's happening, y'all.
0: Yep, it's happening. Sorry. They needed a leader. Someone with a pure heart, an unbreakable spirit, an unshakable understanding of right and wrong. (sighs) Okay. Someone selfless and brave and kind. So in Avengers number four, they brought back Captain America, introducing the plot point we know so well today, where Cap goes into the ice in 1945 and is found frozen decades later, only to be revived so he can keep punching Nazis and other 'er ne'er-do-wells.
1: So the idea of him going in the ice was um, was created um, when he was when he came out of the ice. Yes.
0: To explain why he's been absent for like the last 13 years or however long. Okay, Because he was frozen in the ice. Yeah. Captain America has never again gone out of print. And today, thanks to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he's more popular now than he ever was, even during World War Two. Dang. Yeah. There's certainly a lot more to his story and God knows I could do this all day, but there you have it. The history and origins of captain Steve Rogers born on this day in 1918. Oh boy. (laughs) Yes. What a great story. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, thanks for tuning in and spending some time with us today. Um, If you didn't enjoy that story, seriously, fuck yourself. Um, But if you did, please take a second to rate, review and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. I haven't been the best at updating lately, but you can find us on Instagram at fantastichpod, or you can also shoot us a message at fantastichistorypod at gmail.com. If you know of any amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history that you'd like us to cover on the show, or if you just want to say hi. Until next time, God bless Fantastic History and God bless Captain America.